This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 24th, 2019, episode 2275. This episode is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World, and greetings, and welcome to the monthly Western episode on Horses in the Morning, September edition. Tara Carter stops by the fourth Tuesday of each month with all things Western, but this month she is out and about gathering intel for the October edition, so sit back and enjoy this little gem from the Hit'em Audio Vaults. Good Tuesday morning to you, and I do mean a good Tuesday morning. Well, if you insist on being accurate about it. You know, only somebody with perfect comedic timing could produce this much energy in one shot. You gotta learn that your time in the saddle Ain't as rough as a life in between And the fence isn't there for you to straddle And you can't change horses in the middle of your dream Greetings, everybody. Welcome back, Tara. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Tara is here every month, for those who are not regular listeners, on the Look at the Calendar, fourth Tuesday of every month. She gets to stop by and tell us all about what's going on in the Western performance world. And apparently, Fort Worth was happening since last we talked. Yeah. What, tell me all about what was going on there. Yeah, Fort Worth was happening in a big way. The last two weeks we were there for the National Ring Cow Horse Association Snaffle Bit Futurity. So it's kind of the the entry point for some of your future superstars in in the ring cow horse world. So that's where we were. It was, you know, the, we've talked a little bit about rain cow horse on here and the three events that are combined in there is our raining and cutting and then down the fence. So those were, those were the three events that a lot of horses came in to compete, compete on at the end of their three-year-old year for. So, and though the winner, uh, this year was Corey Cushing. It was his third time to to win the title Dang. And, and took home $125,000. Wow. So is it just one big, everybody can piece together in the same class or are there different divisions? How do they set that up? Well, they do several divisions. You know, they have the open, which is, you know, open to anyone and they have, and those are all based on, on earnings, but they have several divisions of the open. So the open is, you know, for everybody and those who have won championships and won over 300,000 and, you know, million dollar riders. Then they have the intermediate open for those who are basically just, just under that, haven't crossed that big mark. And then they have the limited open, which are for guys that have, I think one less than 15,000. And then they have the level one limited open, which are for guys that have won, you know, even less. So there's kind of four divisions of the open and then they have the non-pro uh, which are for people who don't train professionally, but basically can compete at the same event in their own division. So they basically divide it up by the rider, not the horse. The horses are all at the tail end of their three-year-old year. Mares, geldings, stallions all compete together. Yes. Yes, that's right. And 
some some futurities, Fort Worth is also home for the National Cutting Horse Association futurity, and those are all horses at the end of their three-year-old year, but they are primarily cutting. They don't do the other two events. And so those horses are actually not allowed to have shown before that event. Really? So some of these horses here, uh-huh, wow. that has to be their first show. So Once some done. of the horses at the, <laughs> at the snaffle bit, they've shown before. But. Right. <laughs> wow. So the one is, I, I like to think of it because I'm an English gal. It's the three-phase eventing of the Western world in that the horse has to be a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades. Yes. To compete in yes. that. Versus the yeah, other like one, the, which is a speciality. Yes. And for example, in the cutting futurity, you know, you've got your one entry, right? And if you lose a cow, you are done. <laughs> yeah. And where if you're in the rain, if you're in the rain cow horse, or same for raining, you know, but if you're in the rain cow horse, you know, you'll see horses that are really strong and raining, but maybe they're not as strong in the cow events or vice versa. And sometimes a mistake in one event you can make up for in another event. So, right. Uh, right. It's, definitely the most that that comes out on top yeah so now a question had popped into my head now it's gone again i need to think backwards what question was it (laughs) okay so when you have futurity horses or for that matter when a reined cow horse in the progression of his career um do they tend to become stronger in one i'm going to call them do you call them phases do you call them disciplines what do you call the different separate Bits of events. It. events. I mean, we call them events. Yeah, the so classes or events. Do they tend but- to become stronger in in one event early on in their training, and then you have to figure out ways to strengthen the other two? How does that usually work out when you're getting started with the futurity horses? Yeah, I think like all horses, they have their own certain you know talents or you know propensities. But for at the the goal of ring cow horses, you know, we have the snaffle bit, which is an entry point. But the real goal for all of these horses is to develop them into bridle horses. So, all of these classes, you know, I just talked about the snaffle bit, but they also had the hackamore classes. So, horses that after they've gone through their three year old year in the snaffle, then they come back and they compete in a hackamore as they get older, and then they compete in the two rein. And then they compete in the bridle. So it follows the vaquero traditions. And, you know, the ultimate goal is to have a horse that's really solid in all three events and in the bridle. And that's one of the things, too, that, you know, is I think the the discipline is actually quite proud of is is how many horses have such a long a long career and develop into bridle horses. That's yes, that's really cool, because so many times the futurities becomes so lucrative that the horses have shorter careers in an effort to um, get to the top earlier on. And it's kind of neat that they do that. So do they do that by, is it just because of it's a cultural thing or do you think that the prize money helps? It's a little of each that helps these horses have longer careers. Um, I think it definitely, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I definitely think it's a cultural thing. And then, you know, they've done made an effort to support it, with prize money and publicity and those types of things so that it continues to support the culture. I think it, it started one way and they've made a big effort to, to preserve it. To preserve it. Now we're going to, our first guest is going to be coming up shortly. Kristen Kovach Bentley, who rode her off the track thoroughbred in the Western division at the recent retired racehorse product championships in Lexington, Kentucky. And when you get to these events that you guys go to, 
Are they open to all breeds? Are they breed specific? Yeah, rain cow horse, the NRCHA, they are open to all breeds. So there actually was a Mustang that competed in the Snafflebit Futurity this year. Oh, neat. Um, wow, uh-huh. du- so double, you- double whammy right there, Mustang and a three-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, and I don't know, you know, I guess maybe he was, I don't know what his age was, because I think, I'll have to check on that, but, um, but yeah. Yeah, they had a Mustang, they have paint horses, they have... Um, quarter horse, you know, primarily it's quarter horses, then paint horses. Mm-hmm. So the, the tradition, yeah, the, open to any breed, the modernly, the modern traditional stock breeds that you see a lot. Yeah. Interesting. So yes. that it is breed is not breed specific, which is great because there are lots of folks who want to try these types of things that don't necessarily have a quarter horse and they're not willing to give up their heart horse to change disciplines. Yes. So I get that. Yeah. And- and this event doesn't have the, you know, some of the other events have different classes like green rider classes or green horse classes. And so, you know, that's when if you want to try it for the first time, you don't have to go down the fence or, mm-hmm. you know, they have different ways to get in and try the sport. And um, that's usually when you see a more variety of breeds is those entry level classes. Entry level stuff. So <clears throat> I'm guessing that the reined cow horse discipline as a whole is probably more popular in the Southwest than it is on the East coast, I'm guessing. (laughs) Uh, Well, there are a few folks from the East coast competing. Um, You know, it started on the West coast, really. It used to be held in Reno, Nevada. And then they just recently moved it here. I think just last year was the first year. So this was the second year here in Fort Worth. Um, And what's kind of been neat about it is because they moved it to Fort Worth we, there's a lot of people who are million dollar reining trainers, million dollar, like $5 million cutting trainers. And they, everyone was joking that they crossed over to this sport just because it was right there in their backyard. And so, you know, here were these million dollar riders competing in the level one limited open <laughs> because they, <laughs> they've, they've not won anything in this particular discipline. Right. And it was just great to see how well they performed and also their respect for, how hard it is to train a horse for three events. So it was really great. Now I'm not familiar with all of the many, many different Western disciplines out there, but I think this is the only one where it's quite literally three events, one prize. I don't think any other Western disciplines do it that way. Do they? What do you mean? One prize in that when you when you enter, the, the when you enter your division, you pay you pay your entry fee. You compete three different times on the same horse and rider combination, and that score is cumulative to the end and gets one one winner, yes. one second place. Versus um, a class where you enter, um, and I know that it works this way in the English divisions. You enter hunter under you you enter working hunters. Working hunters do three separate classes. They do two over fences classes and one class on the flat. Each class is scored separately and pinned separately. And then at the end, there's a championship. It doesn't work that way with rain cow horse. You do all three, your score is all added up. And at the end of all three different events, the one with the best score wins first, the second best score wins second. But I don't know of any other Western disciplines that, that have that type of a format. Well, I feel like, you know, in, 
in the Rain Cow Horse, when they split the events like this, sometimes they're all combined. You go in, you do your raining pattern, you work the cow on the end, and then you go down the fence. They sort of combine it. The, like As the horses get older, they don't necessarily split up the events like they do mm-hmm. in in the futurity. But they did award, you know, the winner of the reigning. They, you know, they had a payout and a placing for that. And they had a payout and a placing for the cutting and a payout and a placing for the fence work. So if you you have a rock star in one event, you still get kudos. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then, and ranch horse works that way too. You know, you can win the trail, you can win the cow work, you can win the reigning, but there's an all around who gets the all around award. Okay. So yeah, they, I think everybody still awards them individually, but they do lump all the scores together for the for the all around or the overall champion. There we go. All right, that sounds to me like our first guest, Kristen, is ready. So let's bring her okay. on board. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Hey, how are you? I'm doing How's great. <laughs> Good morning, Kristen. Hi there. How are you? Doing well. So, Kristen. Regular listeners will recognize this voice because Kristen's been on the show before, being the um, associated with Horse Station as she is. But the reason we have Kristen on today is she recently competed her or her thoroughbred jobber at the Lexington Retired Racehorse Project at the competition. And what was the result, Kristen? Uh, We placed seventh in the ranch work. Um, I think. There was maybe about 50 entered. Uh, I think ultimately 46 competed that day. So Woo-hoo! Uh, we also competed in the, f- yay. <laughs> we, uh, we did compete in the freestyle as well. Um, unfortunately this year they took the cows out of the ranch work to try to increase entries and it worked really well. Um, but I of course wanted to play with a cow. So I found a local cow and uh, brought my own for the freestyle competition as well. So <laughs> kept the cows there a little bit. How now- hard was it to find a how hard was it to find a cow in Kentucky to use? So, yeah, that process is interesting. The, um, <laughs> the, the Retired Racers Project, they, they put a Facebook group together for all the trainers, um, which makes it a little easier in a network. So I was, you know, just put out the call like, hey, I'm interested in potentially, you know, BYO cowing it. And uh, <laughs> if anybody can help me out, that'd be great. Um, and a, a local lady and her husband, um, they'd actually done kind of the same routine before a couple of years ago where... They, uh, they load up the cow at their place about 45 minutes away, and they just back the trailer right into the ring, drop the cow, work the cow, put the cow back on the trailer, and away they went. So so they were pretty accustomed to that format. So that was super, super helpful. Um, so, yeah, they, they just furnished my cow for me for that day. So uh, I think all told, the cow probably spent a lot more time on the trailer than it spent in the ring, but, <laughs> but it, it worked out pretty well. So we had a lot of fun. So for folks who haven't followed uh, Jobber's trek to the Kentucky event, uh, kind of walk us through how this particular discipline discipline at the makeover works. Yeah. So, uh, and they are continually tweaking the format. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, they're working really hard to increase Western numbers, uh, which I think is great, you know, so that's something I'm really passionate about is getting more thoroughbreds and Western tech. Um, so this year, they ran it, they did a ranch riding pattern, uh, and then immediately after your pattern, you'd go through and do the ranch trail. So you were kind of navigating around the obstacles for the, <laughs> for the flat work pattern, um, you know, which, which took a little while for us all to figure out where we were going. We did a, a course inspection and sort of all 50 of us were trying to go through there at the same time, figuring out how that was going to work. Um, and then they, they do combine your scores under two judges. Uh, and then 
at the, the makeover, they bring back the top five for the finale. So the, the top five came back on Saturday and did um, a second more complicated pattern and then a, a different set of ranch trail obstacles. So um, I think next year they are working to try to bring cattle back into it in a way that uh, people from home who don't have a lot of cattle can still be successful. So in the past, they ran it uh, like a basic range cow horse. So you come in, you do your dry work pattern and then um, box and fence your cow. Uh, and they were, the entries were just dropping off every year. So, so this way they did bring a lot more entries in, um, which is good. You know, it's really nice to see those numbers. Yeah. It's, it's really hard when you, you have an interest and an affinity for the, the Western discipline and riding your horse and the, and like Jen, what we were talking about with Nigel, where there's so much value in working a cow for your horse, but it's so hard to get access. So if there's ways where you can go and, you know, do some of the basically the fundamentals to prepare to prepare your horse and then go in and work a cow in a way that helps your horse be successful. That that would be wonderful for them to be able to include it that way. Yeah, for sure. So and I think some of the problem is, you know, even if the I'll give the, the trainers at the RRP get a ton of credit because, you know, we've all been following each other's sort of journey the past year um, in the Facebook group. And, and so many people are really just out there to do what's best for the horse and, and you know, practice good horsemanship. So, um, you know, and I'm, I'm confident that there would be people that would just go out there and just track the cow around really quietly. And then there'd be other people, of course, that are a little more competitive and want to win and, and uh, you know, might get themselves in a little bit of trouble if they haven't <laughs> had a lot of time to practice. <laughs> So I think finding a way to bring the cattle back in a, a with a lower impact way is going to be uh, a, a good middle ground. So um, there were a lot of crossovers from the eventing and dressage disciplines this year. Really? Um, you know, who are like, well, yes, yeah, it's actually really cool to see. So um, I sort of somehow ended up sort of picking up a small flock of them, and we were all going through the, <laughs> the course inspection together. Um, and they were like, please, you know, tell me how to do this, tell me how to do that. And, you know, a lot of them, I was like, look, if you've got good flat work, you're going to be in great shape. So... Um, the coach I worked with, her background is in dressage and hunter jumper, you know, like, cause I figured, you know, my knowledge, I can fill in the ranch horse parts myself, but the, the starting the thoroughbred part, I wanted some help with. So, and, you know, I had a great flat work foundation and, you know, I can add the Western flavor to that, but a, a well-broke horse in the flat is a well-broke horse. So, so a lot of them, you know, they were successful for sure. I think the, um, you know, the, the top five were really like, true blue ranch riders, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was neat to see a lot of people trying that discipline for the first time. So hopefully, you know, maybe the, the spark has been lit and they'll, they'll try it again at home, but we'll see. So, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. A lot of uh, interesting conversations to be had for people who are like, this is my first time in a Western saddle. So <laughs> they, yeah, they, they, aw- they went out there and gave it a good try. So Do they award the divisions differently? Do they allow you to compete in both divisions or... Yeah, so at the makeover, you can choose up to two divisions, um, and you only have to choose one. So some people were there just for the ranch. You know, there are a lot of people there just for the eventing or just for the dressage or, you know, what have you. So there's, uh, I think, 10 events total. Um, so you can cross-enter, you know, in some pretty creative ways. I think there was one cross-enter from the field hunter and the ranch work um, with, a, you know, a gentleman who's good over fences but also has a really strong ranch background. So he put the horse in both. Um, and with the sale component there as well, uh, sometimes I can really help market your horse, you know, to be like, Hey, he was out with the hounds yesterday and he's in with the cows today. So, um, <laughs> I think a popular combination seemed to be the, the ranch and the competitive trail. So, 
Um, and there were a couple similar aspects between both, you know, some of the trail obstacles were similar to the ranch trail. Um, you know, and of course I did the freestyle and the, the ranch and, um, yeah, so it definitely made for some interesting crossover opportunities for some of the English writers to give it a try. So it was <laughs> neat to see. So tell us a little bit about Jobber, how, how you came to have Jobber, what made you want to do ranch work with him and things like that. Oh, Jobber. Uh, so uh, I originally actually started following his story. Um, an acquaintance of mine was his exercise rider on the track. He did all of his racing up at Woodbine and Fort Erie in Ontario. Uh, he's an Ontario bred um, uh, 2009 model. Uh, so he's a little older. He did not start until like the end of his three-year-old year. Uh, he's not a particularly big horse. So, you know, this is pure speculation at this point, but I just wonder if he just needed a little more time to, to try to grow and catch up with everybody else. Um, he's just a, a little guy, like maybe 15, two, 15, um, So Jackie was his exercise rider. She put in, a word, you know, with his connections that, Hey, when jobber's ready to come off the track, I've got a home for him. So you just let me know. Um, and when I asked her why that particular horse, cause she never raced him or anything, she was like, well, I always knew in the morning he would never dump my butt on the track. He was very reliable. <laughs> Excellent like, well, trait. Excellent. Nice. Yes. I'm like, I'm like, reliability. Yeah. And lack of dumping your butt on the track. Always a plus. Uh, so, so jobber was finally ready to come home at the end of, uh, 2016. And, uh, she pretty much just, you know, pulled his shoes and turned him out mostly for the next year. So she intended to ride him quite a bit. Um, you know, and as happens with life, she, she got the horse and a couple months later, all of her work responsibilities changed and she ended up traveling a lot. Uh, so she was spending more time away from home than she was at home. So Jobber was pretty much just sort of parked out in the pasture. Um, you know, the RRP, they have a, a ride requirement that you cannot do more than 15 rides before a certain date. So, so when I picked him up, you know, I made her pull out a calendar and she and I went through month by month and she, you know, wrote down all the days that she had ridden him and it came out to 12 rides. So we were still out. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I was like, Oh good. You know, and, and I wasn't intending necessarily to get him just for the makeover. Um, but I was like, Hey, if he's eligible, that's kind of a cool side project. So, um, so yeah, so she reached out to me and, you know, half jokingly was like, Oh, jobber wants to be a ranch horse. So she was intending to make him a jumper. Um, I will tell you, this horse is so clumsy over a pole that I really think I saved her life by taking him off of her hands <laughs> and not letting her turn him into a jumper because he just is like, oh, that, that, I can walk on that pole, that's fine. So, um, so yeah, I feel like anyone trying to jump him would really be <laughs> putting themselves in some serious danger. So, uh, yeah, so she, she let me know. She's like, hey, this horse is here if you want him. And, um, you know, I thought about it. And for a long time, I'd really wanted um, an off-track horse. Um, and I, I think my, my horse keeping situation is a little bit unique. Um, I self-care board at the family cattle farm, um, and it, it is a cattle farm. It's not a horse facility. So there's no arena, no round pen, no riding ring. Uh, the horses live out 24-7, you know, with shelter and, and plenty of forage. But they're out all the time. And, you know, I had heard, like, oh, those, those thoroughbreds, they're tough to keep the weight on. Living out isn't great for them. And you know, he'd already been out for a year. He'd been barefoot for a year and he seemed really easygoing. And I was like, well, I think if I'm going to try it, this is the horse to try it with. So, so, uh, brought him down into New York from Ontario. And, you know, once the official thoroughbred makeover deadline started, um, we, we got to work and he, he took to it really, really well. So, so yeah, all of our training has been done, um, outside the arena. Um, I think anyone in the auditor group has maybe seen the hashtag team, no arena going around. Um, and that, that, that got started with the, the makeover group, you know, I would just post pictures like, well, here we are in the snow out, out in this old 
cornfield, just sort of figuring out how to walk. Um, you know, people are like, oh, hashtag Team No Arena, that's really cool, and it sort of spread from there. So, <laughs> um, and, you know, retrospectively, you know, I was like, I don't know if this is going to be a strength or a weakness, and I think it's definitely been a strength that the horse is straight. You know, the horse is, he learned collection out in the field, um, you know, so all this stuff that, that applies much easier into the arena than if I'd only schooled the ring and then tried to take him out in the pasture. So, so um, you know, when we do get a chance to ride in a ring, it's like, you know, I'm thinking, this is amazing. I can just float the rain at him and there's a wall everywhere. So I'm never going to get in any trouble. So <laughs> if, if anyone's, you know, <laughs> feeling any anxiety in the arena, they need to come out and ride with me in the, out in the pasture. And I think that'll, uh, that'll cure you pretty quick. So, <laughs> um, you know, and he's, he's gotten good on terrain. We go up and down a lot of hills. The hill work has really helped, you know, strengthen up his top line and muscle him up. And, um, you know, sometimes it's problematic because I feel like there's barely a flat space on the farm to do a lope a circle anywhere, but, <laughs> but it, it works out pretty well. So, you but know, if you can lope, if you can lope a circle on the side of a hill, you can lope a circle anywhere, right? For sure. Yep. And, you know, again, it's helped him get so much stronger. So the, I love looking at pictures from when he first got here and pictures of what he looks like now. And it's almost two different horses. He's just so muscled up and got weight on and, I think he's happy. I mean, he really, really took to the cattle, like, you know, amazing. So the, um, the barn that Jackie had him out in Ontario, they hosted team roping, uh, for practice, you know, I think like maybe one night a week. So he got to see a lot of cattle. He wasn't working them, but he got exposed to them. Um, you know, and this horse is so easy going, I could probably put him in a field full of llamas and he would work those too. So, uh, (laughs) he just has the right mindset for it, but he's taken to the cattle so quickly and, um, actually the, the problem I'm going to be working on over the winter is curbing his overaggression. So he tends to get a little lungy, which, you know, you don't want. So, <laughs> so I'm working on him, you know, continuing to read cattle and, and work cattle, but not be, you know, coming at them. He's a gape. So <laughs> he gets a little too into it. <laughs> it can affect your expression points, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, let yeah, we don't want to be, uh, <laughs> Asked not to come back anywhere for roughing the herd. So <laughs> we do have to be yeah. a little careful with that. So, yeah, now that the makeover is behind us, um, for 2019, I'm hoping to show him in New York State range cow horse. Um, the, the New York State uh, Association, they have some great green horse classes. That'll be a good intro for him. Um, he will be 10 next year. So, you know, technically he should be showing in the bridle, but he's going to go in the snaffle bit probably another year uh, in the green horse classes and we'll start to transition him up and get him bitted up a little more and just see what he likes. And, you know, if he never takes to the, to the bridle, then we'll just show our green horse classes and then find something else to do. So, <laughs> um, you know, I don't really have like a big agenda for this horse, but he's just such a good working horse around the farm, um, you know, and a comfortable trail horse and just so reliable. I think he's going to be the real stereotype breaker for off-track thoroughbreds in the Western world. So, but I'm pretty confident I can take him almost anywhere you know, and be successful and, and hopefully change some, change some minds about thoroughbreds and just uh, sort of be a little ambassador for the breed. So, you know, those are our small, small goals. Nothing. Yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> Changing everyone's mind. Well, there you, you go. Know. Well, it, it sounds like you had a blast taking Jobber to the makeover. Um, does this inspire you to perhaps do another makeover with another horse in the future? I think in the future, I would definitely like to, um, if for no other reason, just to, to get down, you know, to the horse park, you know, especially the jobbers, you know, my first thoroughbred. So it was just so much fun to trail ride around 
you know, KHP pretty much wherever we wanted to go. So, you know, I put him through the head of the lake because why not? It was there. Um, all the water complexes he went in. So, you know, just for that aspect to go down and ride it at the horse park was really cool. Um, but now I've made so many friends through the makeover, you know, and there's like a guy in Florida who's like, Oh, come down anytime you want. There's folks in Virginia. And I'm like, yeah, come down to Florida. Because, you know. Yeah. Come down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll have to hook you up with my friend, Travis. He's in Ocala. So there we yeah, go. You guys can maybe go trail riding together. He's got a great little thoroughbred. Um, he, I think was fourth. Wow. He was in the top five. So my God. yeah. So yeah. I mean, literally there's, you know, ranch horses and thoroughbreds everywhere. So, um, but yeah, in the future I would definitely like to do it again. Uh, if nothing else, to, to prove that jobber's not a fluke. <laughs> that, you know, you, you can find other other thoroughbreds that can take well to, to this kind of horse lifestyle. Because, yeah. you know, I think it is a lot different from, certainly different from life on the track. But, um, you know, and if, if nothing else, just to, to prove that, you know, they, they can live like a ranch horse. They can be out. They can be happy and successful and sound and uh, sane, which is a big one. Um yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people, you know, are asking like, "Oh, why don't you have a 2019 horse?" And for me, it's just too tight of a turnaround for me. I'd right, like to, yeah. you know, take another year with Jobber and just yeah. first of all for myself, you know, to make sure I can actually train a horse <laughs> to that <laughs> level. So I've had some very talented uh, range cow horses in the past. Um, you know, some, like green cutters that we've turned into range cow horses. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things you look back and you're like, oh, if I knew then what I know now, you know, how much better could that horse be? So I want to apply, you know, what I know now um, and just, you know, make sure I can finish, finish maybe a little bit of a strong word. But <laughs> well, maybe, maybe next year we'll be talking to you. Down. Maybe next year we'll be talking to you about how Jobber is going to, uh, to Fort Worth. <laughs> Yeah, right. there yeah. you go. Yeah, you know, this year the makeover, next year, you never, never know. know. So never maybe know. he'll take to it just that fast. Yeah. So, um, yeah, again, you know, if I set my personal standard a little low, then I'm always surprised. So There you go. Well, thank <laughs> you. Uh, I think I'll get in a year. But. Thanks so much for stopping by and chatting with us about Jobber and your excellent adventure uh, through the makeover and beyond. And keep us abreast of how it's going with Jobber and whether or not there's going to be another makeover horse when he if he shows up at your front door. Keep us abreast. And uh, thanks for being on the show with yeah. us, Kristen. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, I will yeah. always support Western thoroughbreds. So if anyone else has one, I would love to chat with them about that. So, yeah. There we go. In- insert cheering. Thanks so much. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, that was a fascinating conversation. I didn't know so much. I know. I forget that, you know, and she says sort of be an ambassador for thoroughbreds for the Western world because my family is, I've been around thoroughbreds and because Trevor has such an affinity for thoroughbreds, I forget that it is kind of a a bridge to cross for some folks. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And and I think particularly because in the last, I would say 20 to 30 years, uh, the thoroughbred has been so pigeonholed as it's either a racehorse or an event horse and maybe a jumper, right. but that's really where they've been pigeonholed. And I think it's kind of, kind of neat that it's, it's coming from a grassroots effort of trainers to, to bring out. And I keep reminding myself that the founding horses of the quarter horse breed, hello, they were thoroughbreds. Shh, don't tell. I know, I won't. Shh.
<laughs> top secret. Well, one of the uh, thing one think- of the things that is not a secret is that horseware sponsors this here monthly Western episode on the fourth Tuesday of every month. And uh, we'll take a little break and hear from them. And when we come back, we're going to geek out a little bit on saddles. Well, I'm here with Catherine from Horseware. We are at the trade show. And I asked her a question. Horseware is really known for blankets and really well known. And we use them all the time on the English side. But what do you have that fits that hard to fit, you know, quarter horse, the Western quarter horse? Our top seller into the Western market is our Bravo 12 Plus Medium. And the medium weight is a 250 gram fill. It comes with a hood that is detachable. um, And it's a 1200 denier material. So I know that one of the things that's really important on the Western side is to have the hood, too. And I, the hood... No fuzzy necks, please. No fuzzy necks, that's right. And the hood kind of attaches in a different way than most hoods. This is pretty cool. The hood attachment is to minimize any sort of rubbing. So the hook is on the inside of the rug, and then the attachment on the hood is a Velcro. No snaps. Off, off, no, no snaps. snaps. Right. No snaps. So it eliminates the rubbing on the eliminates neck. Eliminates rubbing, and it, it's so important to actually keep that neck covered. Uh, you spend so much time trying to put condition on that neck. It's a huge, big muscle, and during the colder weather, you're defeating the purpose of having putting that put that effort into maintaining that muscle if you don't have the hood on. Very good, and of course, it has the quality, and that's why I wanted to bring this up because horseware has such quality, lasts such a long time that I'm really glad to see there's something for the Western market now with that quality. Absolutely, our our pattern is fantastic. The fit, the functionality, it, our blankets, and it just lasts a long time. It does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other beauty with our rugs, they are actually crafted so that they don't need leg straps. So when you look at the graphics that we have in our magazines or on our website, you'll see horses at standing, um, trotting, galloping, um, and the the blanket is designed so that it stays in place and there's no slippage. Very good. Glenn loves that there's no leg straps. I love that. Yes. Horse husband approved. So now where can people find out more about the uh, horseware line of blanket? We have a website that gives a comprehensive um, information on all the sizes, colors, um, and options that are available, and that is horseware.com. And it also ha- yeah, it makes it really easy to find out your size and to do all of that on there. I've been on there many times. Horseware.com. Well, there we go. It's blanket season literally around the corner. How- when does blanket season start for you guys, Tara? It started a month <laughs> ago. <laughs> it started it's not ago. my favorite season i can just tell you that <laughs> you, yeah you guys got a you guys got a lot of horses to put blankets on yes now i'm guessing yes. i'm guessing the mostly vacationers just get to be wild and woolly they do yeah unless you're unless you're officially in the show program <laughs> you are wild and woolly and teddy bear eared <laughs> <laughs> teddy bear eared <laughs> now do you have any because horses come with all different sorts of ideas about what their winter coat should be do you have any horses that are like really you need to grow some hair no not really it's usually like wow that's a lot oh you got you have <laughs> you have more, good fuzzy ones then more that category. yeah it's yeah. more that category yeah i we you often assume that a horse's coat is going to grow appropriate to the climate he lives in right mm-hmm. we have two native Floridian horses. They were both born and have spent pretty much their entire lives in central Florida. One of them grows a hair coat that looks like it should be on a stife teddy bear. And the other (laughs) one looks like a grizzly bear. (laughs) 
so funny. It's like you got to bring them to New Mexico for a winter, and then they'll be like, "Oh, Florida's not so cold." <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. With I don't know. We yeah, we were we were talking to a guy. He's in Canada, and and Trevor was like, "Oh yeah, it's cold in Canada," and he said, "I don't know. I've been more cold in Texas." And Trevor was like, "Yeah, you know that's actually kind of true." So. Sometimes the the moisture and yes. the cold, cold is yeah. ugh, bitter. The humidity makes a big difference as what how how much or how little that you have. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> mid show here, folks, and this is a topic I've been wanting to dive into for some time, and we finally got a show that we're able to spend a little bit of time on it. I wanted to geek out a little bit on Western saddles, and what prompted this whole conversation is when I went out to Carter Ranch back over the summer for the ranch weekend, which I highly recommend to everybody because it was A, so much fun, and B, learned a ton. Despite the fact that I'm an English writer, I still learned a ton. That is very <laughs> applicable to my English writing phases. Um, but on day one, between day one and day two, we switched saddles because the first one that I rode in, which I thought was a wonderfully comfortable saddle, didn't fi- fit Sailor all that fantastically. So Trevor switched it to saddle B, which wasn't as comfortable for me to ride in, and you're going to explain why in a minute, but it fits Sailor better. So that's why we went with that saddle. So when it comes to working saddles, the type of saddle someone is going to use to do ranch work, what are some of the um, attributes that it should or shouldn't have? Let's get started with that. Well, basically the... The most important thing, if you really are going out to do ranch work, is that it hugs your clo- your horse closely and that the weight, like sometimes longer bars, so long as it's not too long, you know, that gives more surface area, basically. And I'm not a saddle expert, so I'll just give you the reasons we make decisions. Yep. So don't don't be like, oh, that's what she said, and that's totally wrong, but it's, it's what's working for us at the yeah. moment. Um, but it's basically so that when you are when you are roping that the weight of what you're holding is more evenly distributed. A lot of times the horn, like especially on wade trees and things like that, it's a little bit closer down to the, down to the tree and, and the bars so that it's all, it doesn't have as much like torque or like a tipping point kind of. Mm -hmm. So those are probably more important things so that longer days and holding, like taking a tug and holding something, that could be could be moving or could just be stout. You know, those are kind of the things that that we look for as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot the, of times it's about from the horse's fit point of view. Okay, rate distribution because you're going to be spending a lot of a lot of hours up there with mm-hmm. uh, frequent bouts of pulling, tugging, and yanking going on. So fit, mm-hmm. I guess, is pretty huge. If it, regardless of the design and type and measurements of that saddle, it's got to fit that horse's back really well. And we, we care a lot about shoulder clearance. We really, that seems, I don't know, I don't feel like we hear a lot of people talk about it in the Western world, and it's maybe just they don't talk about it. You know, it's just something that Trevor and I talk about, so that's yeah. why. But we we care a lot about that, but sometimes we would go the other way, and we would try to get, you know, a wider gullet, and, and some horses need it, but we would try to get a wider gullet for better shoulder clearance, and then what happened is it was it was too much, and it basically acts cause the saddle to shove down on the horse's back and shoulders. Don't want that. So it's sort of a fine line to get that. Yeah. You want more shoulder clearance, but you don't want so much that now you're downhill and, mm-hmm. you know, have a huge pressure point. 
Okay. So from the, now from the writer's point of view, what are the attributes we're looking for? Um, well, for us, we care, you know, there's, there's more to a Western saddle as far as leather and pieces and all of that. So, and sometimes, so sometimes it's harder to get closer to your horse. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, in dressage saddles and English saddles, there's, there's not there's a lot there. Less. Yeah. It's the postage yeah, stamp. It, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, the difference between, you know, some of the, some of the really great dressage saddles are that the way that they put your leg into position and that you are closer to the horse. So it's, it's so much too about the design, not just about the amount of leather or the thickness oh, of leather. Okay. So see, that's interesting that it does. It's, it's two different, it's two different attributes. It's not just the amount of leather, but it is how it is applied to that tree underneath of it. Right. And you, you know, we call it sky, skive out the leather a little bit where, you know, it's thinner in certain areas or mm -hmm. like the saddles that, that Trevor just loves to ride in, they call uh, Lasan, L-E-S-O-N. And they, he, the, the saddle maker, his wife was actually a dressage rider and, and he helped, she helped him basically create sort of that, that closeness and that contact and that feel in that Western saddle. So, you know, that, that's something that's important, important to us, may not be important to everybody, but then it starts to go into what, what's your discipline and what, what do you really want to do? And, you know, like if you look at barrel saddles, they have a really high um, cannel and a horn that's a little bit easier to get your hand around. And they kind of put you in a more forward position because, you know, your horse is, is flat out. Is, right, hopefully right. your horse is flat out. And so, you know, that's where their weight goes to tip. And so you've got to be athletically in position at that speed and at that weight distribution. So right. makes sense. there's, you know, that's a whole different ball game. And so like we have some folks that, um, you know, they ride in their barrel saddle because they feel super secure because of that basically high surroundings, mm -hmm. but, it, but it can be harder for them to get in the right position for different things because it isn't already putting them in that more forward position. So that's where we start to get into disciplines versus, you know, right. multiple disciplines versus, you know, what do you want and, and that kind of thing. So for the reined cow horse, <clears throat> you are doing three different events is when you choose a saddle to be competing and working in reined cow horse, because you're doing very different things with the same horse. And when you're competing, you're not necessarily in, in three phase eventing, you go back, you change your tack, you start all over, you go to the next phase. Um, you don't go cross country in a dressage saddle, but in right. <laughs> rain cow horse, you use the same tack for all of the events. So is, is the saddle you're choosing to do that in something of a hybrid or is it more simply a really good quality working saddle? Does that change the, the, the scene a little bit? Well, I mean, we've talked, talked about how well you could just be in a rain saddle, saddle or you could, could, you could be just be in a cutting, cutting saddle. saddle. And, and here's, here's, here's my... Hang on a second. Hang on a second there. You're, you're fading out on me. Are you still there? Let me plug it in. How's that? Okay. Count to five for me. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, we're back. Okay, sorry. We'll start at the, okay. we'll, we'll start at the beginning of Rained Cow Horse Saddle. Okay. So, I mean... There are guys who who will do their reining in a reining saddle and do their cutting in a cutting saddle and then, you know, choose what, what they feel most comfortable in going down the fence. There's some who just stay in a cutting saddle. And 
my basic understanding of the difference is, is that a cutting saddle is a bit more flat. So you kind of hover over, you know, you don't, you don't get stuck in the saddle. You basically just kind of stay in a position while your horse moves underneath you. Oh, okay. Um, that's kind of my under, my sort of feeling. It's like, of it's like it has saddle. bushings. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and a reining saddle is, you know, really about helping a horse get really round underneath themselves and, car- you know, carry their head low and their shoulders high, that kind of, that, and you just sort of, you know, sit, the reining saddle kind of has a perched look to me and a perched mm-hmm. feel. Yeah, um, I think, I think that from somebody completely outside the industry and the world and the discipline, I think that reasonably accurately describes what that position looks like when I watch them competitors. It's almost like, it makes me think of, um, a show hunter rider, which a lot of people call perching or um, a two-point or a three-point position where your your seat bones aren't quite deep into the saddle. You've got a lot of weight into your stirrup. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then as far as, as down the fence, I mean, it, it's really kind of what you're most comfortable in at speed and with sudden sudden changes of direction. Um, so, the saddle that that we choose to use, uh, we use two different kinds. We use a Martin, uh, performance saddle and we use this Lasan saddle and kind of the main diff is sort of like you said, like you're saying a hybrid, it's sort of a hybrid of those different features. Um, but the one thing about the Lasan saddle is that it's really cut out more in the leg. And so it kind of gives that closeness that you want for, for some of the reining too, but it also, is actually more secure. So it's not like you need a higher cannel or a higher, you know, a higher set of swells or anything like that. You can be sort of like an extra, like a safety net type deal, Mm -hmm. but that leg cutout is really what kind of helps keep you in, in the pocket. Interesting. So the swell being explain what the swell is for people who are not familiar with the parts of a Western saddle. Uh, it would be like the pommel, but it's the part where, you know, that comes up and it has the horn and then sort of the, I've never really, I've never really had to put words to this, but like the wings around the horn. There you go. The wings around the horn. <laughs> um, now, is yeah. that, can that be accurately described as the cross, cross tree? Uh, or not? Know, or do I have that completely you wrong? Maybe right about that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. But I know that Trevor referred to that as the swell, so I wanted to make sure that we yes. we explained that. So you see some saddles with an extreme swell. They almost look like horns on a cow. Yeah. <laughs> is that something that's just more of a style thing, or is that a rider preference that they like that? Because you you could, like, stick your knees up in there and, and ride for the full eight seconds. Yeah. Well, that certainly is probably who would use that, that style. <laughs> um you know, some of the bullfighting horses kind of have that. I mean, we call it like a bear trap. That's what it looks like. Um, that have those kind of swells on it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you get into the slick fork saddles, which is, and I think the fork maybe is the right word maybe, for that. Yeah. Now, now that there, that's the like kind that. that there's practically no swell there at all. It's very, it's very smooth and pyramid-like up into the saddle horn. Right. And okay. that's typically goes with your wade trees, you know, again, for the, the closeness of the horn to the bars and all of that. But the... And then you have the what they call bucking rolls, um, and so that kind of acts like the swells. So it you know it helps put your leg where it needs to be, but it kind of stays out of the way of what your primary function is in that ho- in that saddle, which is roping. Um, so that's kind of you know that's that's one way. And then you know Aussie saddles don't have a horn, but they have 
to me, sort of somewhere between a swell and a bucking roll type look. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, for, and, you know, and endurance saddles are kind of like a slick fork type. A little bit. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Now, for <clears throat> the purposes of the type of, of events that you guys do, are you allowed to compete in something less traditional, for example, at Australian stock saddle? Or are there rules that say you must use a, I'm using air quotes, Western saddle? I have never wanted to, so I've never <laughs> looked at the rules to tell you whether that is true or not. I'm just curious. Um, and most, so I don't, I don't know. There are, I've paid more attention to the rules about, you know, different associations have different rules about the type of curb strap or the length of shank or, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So we've paid more attention to those rules than I ever have about the saddle. Um, so that's liable to be different within each individual breed association or competition association. I'd have to look it up. I don't. I don't know if there is a rule that says you must ride in a saddle with a horn. I don't. I don't know if there's a rule. I think it's more like why, why wouldn't you ride in a saddle? <laughs> <laughs> mostly because and you and in Trevor's division you rope. So right. you know. So obviously and that's the other yeah. thing. A cutting saddle, a barrel saddle. You know, they have a, th- a thinner horn, like a, a, it's more like a post, you know, just a, yes. well, some people call it post. Anyway, uh, it's thinner and it's mostly just a place to hold on to yeah. and push yourself into position. It's like in a Western pleasure saddle. The it's decorative. The horn, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little, yeah. A little bit. Well, it has, a, it has a function, but the more you rope, basically the stronger and the stouter the horn is. And the bigger, the bigger the horn is, the less amount of turns or dallies you have to take. So that's kind of the idea too, is that um, like there's different reasons for choosing different styles of horns mm-hmm. and it's primarily for holding how much, on how much roping. Those would be do. your kind of two. Yeah. Pieces. Cool. So then, and this is, I'm, I'm, I can go off topic. I need to write this down for, for the next show. Cause now I'm curious about when you're roping, dealing with different, sizes of cow, um, whether or not it's a young cow or an old cow or a cow that's been roped before. But we're going to get into that a different day because I will go on and on and on. And uh, (laughs) speaking of saddle fit and horse comfort, we need to talk a little bit about the total saddle fit shoulder relief cinch, which improves saddle fit and horse comfort. As you mentioned early on in this conversation, shoulder freedom is key. And the center of the cinch sits in your horse's natural groove. And while the sides are set back a little bit so they can attach to the latigos further back and prevent the saddle from being pulled onto the shoulders. It also allows for a little extra elbow clearance and it uses an interchangeable liner system. One cinch can be used with either the limestone neoprene, wool felt, or wool fleece for easy cleaning and flexibility. You can purchase the liners separately or you just buy the cinch you want with the liner you want. And the shoulder relief cinch is now available for Australian and trail saddles. The ones with a English style looking billet, but it's wider than an English saddle is. They come with the 1.25 inch buckles on them so that you can fit it on your Australian saddle. And you can find the total saddle fit shoulder relief cinch at your local tax supplier or online. If you want to learn more, you can go to totalsaddlefit.com. So there you go. And now going to take a little talking break and we're going to hear from Jared Rogerson.
to the rodeo And with a new tank of fuel And a cool Mountain Dew I'm gonna do just what I wanna do We'll be riding wild ponies And chasing pretty girls Shooting for the title The champion of the world We'll just show up Take the money and run Even if I don't win Well, I still have fun Just riding wild ponies And chasing pretty girls Driving all around the world Granddaddy said I need to find a girl And settle down It's a secret to a happy life now I'm feeling pretty good Man, he must have been right I just found my one and only for the night Well, Bucky's on the phone And Arlen's taking home Me, I just travel wherever I may roam I just show up, take the money and run Sometimes I don't win, but I still have fun Chasing pretty girls Driving all around the world We've been riding wild ponies And chasing pretty girls Finally won the title, the champion of the world Just show up, take the money and run Even though I always win, well I still have fun Just riding wild ponies and chasing pretty girls Driving all around the world We'll be driving all around the world Another half a million miles around And that was Riding Wild Ponies with Jared Rogerson. You can find his music on iTunes, CD Baby, etc., and jaredrogerson.com. And you are, we are brought to you today proudly by horseware.com. And Tara comes here the fourth Tuesday of every single month to chat about all things Western performance. And I think we're about to chat with our next guest, Julie Watt. Juliet Watt. Sorry about that. No problem. So we... Do you have her ready? Or we do. I... Welcome to the show, okay, Juliet. So, well, I wanted yeah. to... Oh, hey, Juliet. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Thank you. I'll, I'll just give you guys a little bit of a heads up about uh, Juliet. She is an incredible lady who has done, accomplished quite a lot. And um, I sometimes it's hard to know where to start, but she has done all kinds of things um, as far as all types of industries. She wrote for soap operas. She uh, worked as a cabaret singer around the world. She was a Playboy bunny. She has, she grew up in London. Now she's in Colorado. She has used her, she's a pilot. She's a master pilot instructor. She went to in Hurricane Katrina and rescued thousands of animals using her plane. So 
if you can think of all kinds of things that someone's done, that that would be Juliet. And uh, and now she's into horses. So how are you this morning, Juliet? Can you tell us a little bit about about the horses oh. that you have? Sure. Um, yeah, I have three. Um, one of them is uh, an Arabian, Polish Arabian. He's uh, he's a good pasture pal right now, and he's a rescue. Then I have a little Mustang, who's also a rescue. And uh, my pride and joy is my little horse, Uno, who I just recently got, and he's a Western show horse. And um, he is phenomenal. Uh, quite um, an education, watching him. So they all live at home with me here in Colorado, which is great. And uh, we're just about to go off to another show next week. So and what what caused you to get into horses, Juliet? Well, I've always, I was a stunt rider when I was a teenager, a kid. And um, I've always loved them. I've always felt a great sense of spirituality and peace with them. But I've never really understood them. I never really, as you know, understood how they thought. But I've always absolutely adored them, like a lot of kids. I think it's a, a you know, a, a fairly common thing. But back in London, um, my mother said I had to pay for my horse, so I signed up at the uh, MGM Studios next door, and I was a stunt rider for a couple of years until one too many hospital visits. Mother pulled me out and sold my horse, and that was the end of it. And then there was a huge gap, and then came here with my husband. We went to Utah first. And we were working for Best Friends Animal Sanctuary, which is um, where we did all the Hurricane Katrina work. And I was the uh, volunteer coordinator, basically, and helper in the horse department. And was just watching them using a different kind of training with their horses that I thought was uh, bizarre, actually. (laughs) I did not understand what they were doing. So that (laughs) gradually unfolded into... uh, learning what they were doing, and they were emulating the teachings of Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance and um, the kind of way of doing things, and it kind of got me back in because I said, hmm, this is so different. This probably requires great extensive studying, and I love that. Um, I love something that will take years and years and years to master. So that kind of drew me back in, and, and Zelda, my little Mustang, was the first horse that I got from Best Friends and started the work on and realized, you know, how incredibly wonderful it actually was. So that's the sort of foray into the show world. I, my first show was on Zelda um, with you, Tara, and Trevor, um, five years ago, four years ago, where I just got the bug and I suddenly realized, hmm, this is a purpose for horses. This is a really wonderful purpose that, you know, when those gates open and you go into the show ring and the gates close, you're on your own and it's you and your horse. And um, it's it's just a wonderful connection to learn how to make a horse or, or create a sense of perfection in that ring for two and a half minutes. Um, and then, you know, bang yourself on the head as you come out as you realize you did something silly. But it's just... <laughs> An incredible sense of purpose, as far as I'm concerned. It's not sort of, you know, riding out for lunch with a picnic or walking around the woods. It's it's getting your horse and you to actually go out there and do something. And um, uh, that's what I love about it. Um, I love the constant, the, 
the end of the horizon of this, you know, becoming a master of this is is something that takes years and years and years, and I like that too. Is that a, is that a comprehensible it, answer? Yeah, that's great. We, it was neat because I didn't think about that when we were talking this morning about the different classes that you can be in and we talked about how the green classes and the green horse or green rider classes are great intro classes when it comes to some of the rain cow horse associations. And that's more likely where you see all breeds. And that actually was your first show was a green class with a Mustang and a Polish Arabian, right? <laughs> it was, it was hilarious. People would look at me sort of going, what is that? You know? And, and of course the Arabian was, bless his heart, shouldn't, had no business being in there. He was terrified of everything. But it was interesting because I didn't know anything. I mean, you know, I had to go and ask the judge, is it okay to wear this hat? Because, of course, I had the wrong hat. And <laughs> it just so happened because it was the green class, they're very forgiving, and he sort of nodded in my direction. And so little things like that, you know, you suddenly start watching what other people are wearing, what the professionals are wearing, and you go, hmm, that looks, that looks much smarter you know, and so as as you get better, so you start to really want to uh, even look better, you know, and I think I think there's a lot to that, Tara, definitely. But those green classes, I don't know how many people are aware of how wonderful they are because you have such a freedom to learn in there, you know, you know you're not going to go for, but actually I did win $12, didn't I? That's right. Yes, I won you did. $12. Yes, you yes. did. Yeah, there was, there was, there was a, some folks who were on quarter horses and they were like, how did she win $12 on that horse? But that's where you're, you know, Julia has taken a lot as far as it takes a great responsibility and pride in her horsemanship and then now applying it to that purpose. So what, what made you decide to try and show for the first time? What made you think, I think I'm going to give that a whirl. That's an interesting question because I'm not a particularly competitive person. Um, I, I'm not a sports competitive person. I'm, I'm just not. Um, I, I always believe that, you know, I come from show business, so um, being competitive in show business is, is, is somewhat of a, a detriment because you're constantly being disappointed. So not being competitive, I always used to think, well, I'll never do very well. But then I suddenly realized that out of, well, there may be other professions that are similar. Maybe even football might be similar, but you are competitive with yourself. And I realized that after doing a couple of, sh just that one show, really, and then we did another one, and then I thought, I wonder if there's a possibility that I could really get myself to a level that I could actually go kind of all the way. Um, and I think it was because of the constant fine-tuning, Tara, the constant, okay, I didn't get that lead change, I got it two strides late. Now, who thinks about that? You know, you just relieved you got the lead change, but now you've got to think about where you get it. Now you've got to think about what the shape of that circle is. Is it a perfect circle? Um, and mine are not. Mine are somewhat uh, interesting. And then <laughs> you've got something like a trail class, which is, in my opinion, very tricky because it's so precise. It's like a mathematical equation. So you start to really get into the, how can I do this better? How can I really get those two strides better in the middle? How can I even enter the ring from the minute you come in, you're working, you know? And so I love that. I love the level that 
that you have to achieve to be even good, then I love the level that you need to achieve to be really great at this. And I like the journey, the steps up. It's painful sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, you sit in despair and think, will I ever get this? But it's such, uh, it's so heartening when you do, you know, when you just do well on a run and you come out and you go, yes, I did that well. I've learned something. I'm getting better, you know? And there's no yeah. greater feeling. It's just very similar to learning to fly an airplane. Now tell folks what, which events you compete in. I do, and correct me here, Tara, if I go <laughs> wrong, it's the Raining Cowhorse events, which would be the Raining Class, uh, the Trail Class, Ranch Riding, and then um, I think that's the three, isn't it? Well, and then oh, for... the cow work. Oh, yes, the cow work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's what I find that very interesting, the cow work, the cow classes, because... Um, and I, I figured this out yesterday, Tara, at the, at the fraternity. I thought, good Lord, you're sitting on an animal that has a personality that you have to go, well, here I have a live animal underneath me. And another animal comes out, and you've got to work with that. So um, those, I think the cow class is the one that is the most unpredictable. But those are the three. And then we do heritage, which I think is a reigning pattern and a boxing pattern, um, in in the same class in my in my division right now, which I'm still in the amateur division. Yeah. So so when we do when we do versatility events, that's when you have reining and trail and cutting. Well, yeah, and cutting and yes. cow work. Cutting, sorry, and then sometimes yeah. there's a there's a halter class or a confirmation class. But when it comes to cow horse events, they just do yeah. the three. They just do the reining, the cow work, and then or you know they do cutting or boxing and then. And then the Correct. cow work. Yeah. So, yeah, there's either typically the ranch events have five five different classes, and the cow horse events have have three different classes. Oh, good. So, okay, that's 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 why nobody in the cow horses classes have to do that trail. Yes. Deal. Yeah, that's right. right. So you just went and saw the fir- for your very first time the Snafflebit Futurity. What can you tell us about your experience there? Well, I have such respect for all those folk out there because I know, I know just from, from my, my little entry into it how hard it is, first of all, how incredibly difficult. And they, were, they were two weeks of doing this. And I realized that recognizing, um, actually one of the writers I recognized also I'd seen in Amarillo and in Pueblo at the shows we did there, and um, and. It was just, it was extremely educating and very humbling to see how good you can be. And I think, I think these guys do it year after year after year. I mean, that's what they do. Um, But it really helped me watching them. I must have watched all of them with great intent to see their body position, you know. And I know that what you see in the show ring is a result of all the training. But I kind of don't, that doesn't, I don't care about that. I was watching what I was watching. And what really struck me was the riders that did the best were the stillest, the, the most still in the saddle. They went forward to go fast. They sat up straight to go slow. Um... 
in the cow work, in in the in the herd work, in the cutting, all of it, their stillness, their oneness with the horse, I think, is what really struck me. And when and and when they become part of the horse, then they did a much better run, and they were also very calm. You know, some some of the riders were tense, some of them were nervous, and it's amazing. <laughs> you could actually see that and feel it. And so what I learned was um, that's the best of the best, and uh, those guys work really hard, and it's very physical. Um, and you have to just go, okay, well, let's aim for that kind of, a look, let's aim for me and my horse to look like that. And then I was just studying them. I was just watching real hard how many used their legs a lot, how many didn't, you know. And again, the position of their bodies when they did do lead changes. And, I mean, I could go on. It was it was wonderful. It was, it was like being in a super-duper classroom. So when, when Juliet came, she came to the – she went to the finals – and so that's where, you know, over 200 horses competed at the snaffle bit and the top 25 made it to the finals. And what they do is they do a lot of the, they do the herd work beforehand. So they get that, basically that score under their belt. And then everyone comes in, all 25 horses do their reining pattern. And then they come back in and they do the fence work, which is where they, they bring the cow in, they hold it on the end, and then they take it and run it down the fence and then circle it, figure eight the cow in the middle. And they say that, and they don't tell anybody the scores. So can you describe to people, Juliet, what that environment is like? Because that, that's your first down-the-fence experience, oh, right, as far as that kind of an event. Yeah, I mean... It, uh, it is, it's, it's pretty electric. I mean, first of all, it's absolutely, you have to, you know, you say to yourself, well, don't be terrified because, you know, you would like to do <laughs> that right. one day, but you, you, right. But I, I watched, um, I think it was Matt Koch was the one that had the whole place absolutely screaming because he was like the little demon on the back of his horse. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was extraordinary because the level of danger, the, the, It's very emotional. It's a very emotional thing because I think it's a very dangerous part of the sport is that running down the fence because these cows, I don't know what they give them back there, but these little guys came out and they were, they were ornery and fast. I mean, and I think on one particular run, it reminded me of a Bruce Springsteen concert because everybody was almost on their feet, you know. Um, and then there was another run where, they blew the whistle to get a new cow. I think it was Corey Cushing's run. They blew the whistle to get a new cow, and he, he turned it down and kept going on this cow. And, um, and I thought, well, that was pretty brave because he was halfway through his run, and I thought, I know why he's doing this because this cow was completely, I mean, just running all over the place. But he was, he was in control, and he, and he finished his fence work with it and did a really good job. And, of course, the crowd was screaming because they'd seen him be very brave. And that was the one thing I suddenly thought, that's the one thing I'm taking away from this, the extraordinary braveness of these fellas. I mean, you have got to give it up. You have got to just lay down and go, I'm going to run. I have to beat the cow. You can't think about it. You can't not want to go fast. Uh, that was a big education for me because in, in my learning, 
that's my one hesitation is like laying down and going that speed is like, ooh, I might die. <laughs> and and I think that's, you just don't know what that cow's going to do when you turn it. Is it going to go underneath you and tip you over? Or is it going to turn and and then you have to circle it in the middle, which is extraordinary. And you can feel the guys when they've done their run and they've done a good run. You can just feel them, the the adrenaline, and you can feel the relief and triumph all in the same in the same package so that was that was what i learned bravery you got to be brave and you've really got to just watch that cow don't ever take your eyes off it for a second especially those i don't know where they got them from yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. those they cows were souped up on something <laughs> yeah the faster the right, faster Tara, were, were yeah. they particularly wild those guys yeah, I'll have to post the the run that Juliet's referring to of Matt's oh, in, the, in the auditor group. And he, that's really neat because it's one thing to, you know, be able to train a horse to do a maneuver. And it's another thing to be able to train a horse to do a maneuver that match, that they have to read the cow to do the maneuver well. And they'll do a maneuver so well that you maybe can't even ride it. Like we talk a lot about how, how amazing is it that you can train a horse to do a maneuver that you can't even, you know, that you have to do everything you can to ride. And there's right. this moment in there where Matt's horse reads off, yes. the cow and moves with the cow almost simultaneously. And Matt, Matt barely makes the ride too. Anyway, that's what makes it, makes it amazing. And is there, and they, you know, on top of all of this, they play music, right? You know, like it's a bit like a rodeo <laughs> as far as, you know, you've got the, so you've got was- the, Music yes. and the adrenaline. I forgot to mention that there was the ACDC and Eminem, which yes. you know, my husband turned to me and went, "Is that Eminem? Is that ACDC?" <laughs> he said, "What happened to George Jones?" Yeah. I said, "Oh, I think so." <laughs> it was it was really funny because up until then, it's all good old country stuff, you know. And um, and another thing, you know, there was a moment there where he was so into it and he was. Right at the end of his run, I'm talking about Matt, and just for one split second, that horse really turned with the cow, and Matt didn't, and just there was about two seconds wasn't there of Matt going one way and the horse going the other, and did you hear the crowd, like, roar? They almost put him back in the saddle. Literally, <laughs> That's right. The energy. I really believe that. Um, I, I also just want to interject here. I did one thing before the whole show started. Uh, the announcer... The guy that announces, I adore him. I've listened to him now for two weeks, and I went up to him and shook his hand and told him how amazing I think he is because if uh, my husband's a voiceover artist, and for him to do what he does for eight to ten hours a day, every day, and still have the same energy in his voice and the same clarity at the end of the day was something special. So I just want to interject. I just wanted to go tell him that because I just adore him. He is really amazing. And he's created a whole program that helps the competitors. Like he, he also keeps up with the scores and the entries and all of that that let yeah. the competitors yeah. stay on top of where they are in their runs. And it's really amazing. Yeah. But, so, Julia, any advice that you would give folks if they wanted to show or they were thinking about showing, what would you tell them? A couple of things. Do not, do not expect you're going to get it really fast. Do not be in a hurry. Do not look at these guys. And, and even even 
even folk in regular shows, in the shows that we're going to, don't be, don't get down on yourself and be too despondent when you make mistakes because you're going to make them. You're going to make mistakes you don't make at home. You have to be in a mindset of, okay, you've just got to keep going. You have got to take it one step at a time. You have to look for a 2 to 5% improvement, you know, every time you go to a show. So that's like almost per year. If you can get a good 5% improvement on yourself, you're doing good. But do not be in a hurry. And, and I think a lot of people want to win. They want to win the money. Um, not that there's that much in, in, in the AQHA, but nevertheless, there's this winning thing that you really have to get rid of. You have to leave your ego and your need to win aside, and you have to really put yourself in a state of, this is, may take me some years to become good, to become one with the horse, you know, um, and to learn. You have to learn how to learn all these patterns as well. You have to <laughs> memorize all this. Which drives me nuts because I'm not, that's not my favorite thing to do, but you have to learn that too. And you have to really try and not be nervous. So there's so many things. But my advice to anybody new would be watch other people, watch the best, watch someone who you think is really, really good. Talk to them. I mean, um, I, when I came home, I picked up the phone and I called Matt Koch and I and had a little chat with him, you know, and I just told him that. Um, uh, it was brilliant what he did, and we just had a little chat about how he did what he did, and I learned a little bit more. Just be brave and go up and talk to these folk. Um, just constantly put yourself in a learning frame of mind, and do not give up. Just don't give up. That's, that's the main thing. You're riding a live animal. You know, you're not flying a machine that will do exactly what you tell it to do. I think yeah. that's, that's, that's the most important thing that I see people. They get so frustrated with themselves. You know, I've seen people burst into tears after a run. Really, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> that's not... <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's quite yeah. simple. Don't do Don't that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. No, I've seen people sitting on the floor just sobbing, and I said, have you lost a loved one? No. Well, then get up. You're fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I mean? Making it real here, man. Making it real. Julianne, what? You, I think, yeah. I think you do, because this is, well, look at what we're doing, for God's sakes, you know, and then look at people stuck out there in the floods and everything. We have to put it into perspective. We have to put what we're doing into perspective, you know. If you lose, it's not losing. It's just you didn't do what you intended to do that day. You'll do it the next time. It's hard. It's not easy. So, Juliet, what is it that you do when you're not riding your horses, and where can people find out more about you? Well, um, I just did a TED Talk on uh, a completely different topic, compassion fatigue, uh, which is something I'm very familiar with. And that TED Talk is coming out uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and I'm going to have a new website, and I'll put it up on that. And I will uh, blanket the world with the TED Talk. I also <laughs> am writing a book. I've just finished it, actually, and I'm going through on the last edit. And uh, got a couple of uh, places to send that to. Um, and uh, other than that, uh, I do coaching for people. Um, and I do, uh, I help people as much as I can, but mainly through coaching. And I do speaking engagements. And that's about it, really. And I'm, I'm, I'm home here with my dogs. We have four dogs and three goats and three horses. So we've got quite a bit going on here. 
um, and worry about my entry form for the next show. That's usually <laughs> <laughs> that's usually something that I'm on the phone with uh, with dear Tara here, trying to figure out what am I novice amateur limited novice. I mean, it's just crazy <laughs> nuts. I think uh, so. That's what I do. Yes, but my TED talk is the most thing I'm most proud of this year. Um, so that's going to come out soon. Good. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Juliet, and uh, we'll see me. you see you very soon. Yes, ma'am. Right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. What a cool lady! Oh my gosh, yeah. I want to be your, I want to be your best friend on Facebook now. I know. <laughs> Going to go listen to her TED yeah. talk now. I did a little surfing while we were listening to Juliet, and according oh. to the National Reined Cow Horse Association. Horses shall be shown astride in a Western saddle. There we go. There you go. And question answered. Thank goodness for PDFs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I figured that was the case, but I hated to say, oh, no, nope. You, you can show, you know, I don't know. <laughs> now, what the but definition of a Western saddle is, I'm assuming yeah. they mean as an American Western saddle, right? That's what I would think. Yeah. It's going to have yeah. to have... Uh, Latigos and and a little ring there on the side. No no buckle and girths there, guys. Okay, so there we go. That I think is about going to wrap it up for this month's Western craziness with Tara Carter. For folks who find Tara Carter irresistibly interesting to talk to, listen to, where can they find out more about Tara Carter and Carter Ranch Horse? <laughs> well, we have a uh, Facebook or our website website CarterRanchHorse dot com. And you got to remember, it's Carter Ranch Horse, singular, even though there are lots of ranch horses, plural. That's right. It's That's the right. website. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and Ter- Trevor has kind of an interesting um, coaching program that he does. Uh, tell everybody about that real quick. Yeah, well, we have Plan for Progress. And basically what that is is people like Juliet who um, have an interest in doing more with their horses, either just in general horsemanship or with performance. We help them put together a plan to follow to improve their skill sets and coach them through their, through their, through their goals of showing and competing. So, and they can do that remotely. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Everybody kind of, we kind of have a crew all over, all over the country from the West coast to the East coast and North and South. And then we all get together couple times a year and we'll all see each other at the world show this year. So yeah, everybody, everybody stays on track remotely. There we go. Well, that's going to be a wrap. So you're going to find links to today's guests, including Juliet and Kristen at horses in the morning.com. Today's episode number is 2043. So you can search for it easily. If you're listening to this later on and you can follow us on Facebook. We'll love, we love your feedback. Go to Facebook and type in Horses in the Morning. Our handle on Twitter is at Horse Radio. Listen to all your favorite shows on the Horse Radio Network app for iPhone or Android. It works on both. It's free and easy to use. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. You can also listen on your favorite podcatcher, including iTunes on the website and lots of other affiliate websites. If you have a website and you would like to carry our shows on it, you can do that. Just drop us an email, Jennifer at Horse Radio Network, and we'll get you set up. It's free too. We want everybody to listen. You never have to miss an episode. And thank you very much to Horseware. You can find them at horseware.com and Total Saddle Fit Shoulder Relief Cinch. Find them at totalsaddlefit.com for bringing you this show. And uh, Tara, we'll see you next month. Sounds great.